And hello, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Welcome to another episode of Steelers Friday Night Six Pack. I am your host, as always, Tony Defio. And I thank you for joining me on tonight's show. It's a fine and lovely evening in Pittsburgh. And as I always say, I hope it's a fine and lovely evening wherever you are in Steeler Nation. If you're watching me live on YouTube, well, what a better time than now to ask you to please like and subscribe to our Behind Still Curtain YouTube channel. We bring you live shows each and every day and night, including this show. We have The Hangover on Monday with Brian and Shannon White, Brian Anthony Davis and Shannon White. We have post-game stuff following every Steelers game. You'll see that this Sunday. Um, we have the Touchdown Under show with Maddie Peverall and Mark Davidson. That's every five. So you if you watch that or listen to that earlier on Friday evening. Eastern Standard Time, of course. Let's see, we have, uh, what else? We have the Scobro show on Tuesday night with Dave Schofield and Rich Schofield. Wednesday night, we have Know Your Enemy with, with Jeffrey Benedict and Shannon. Thursday, we have the very popular Steelers preview with Jeff Hartman, Dave, and Brian. We have We Run the North with Kevin Tate and his friends. They discuss all things AFC North. Let's see, we have, uh, is that it? I think I said it for the live shows. And you can catch all those live shows also live on Facebook every, every day. And if you're watching me right now on Facebook, you know that. And of course, you can catch all of our live shows after the fact. Anywhere you can find audio podcasts, you can find Behind Still Curtains podcast channel. And of course, we also have audio-only podcasts that you can catch, again, on any audio platform, including Let's Ride with Jeff Hartman, Bad Language with Brian, From the Cutting Room Floor with Jeffrey, the Stat Geek with with uh, Dave Schofield. Uh, what Ian's talking about with Kyle Christ and his friends. The Steelers Fix with Jeremy Betts and Andrew Wilbar. So you please check those out and check out Behind the Steel Curtain, the website. We bring you news, commentary, film breakdown. It's your one-stop shop for all your Steelers needs. And you will not be sorry. And let's check out the live chat tonight. Let's see who we have in the live chat. Jared Devil, first one in. First one, what first win for him in a long time? Kathy Ford, Steeler Chick 46. Biggie Broncos with us, the legendary Biggie Bronco. Kyle Johnson. All right, Kathy Ford. We have everybody in, and, and uh, we have a nice crew tonight on a lovely Friday night. So let's get into the swing of things by talking about last Sunday's game, a little review of the week one crazy, thrilling, scary. Victory, overtime victory over the over the Bengals, the AFC champion Bengals at Paycor Stadium. Wow. In a lot of ways, it was a repeat of last year's week one win, which I figured if they if they would win, it would be a lot, it would, it would unfold kind of like it did last year with the defense dominating. And boy, did it ever dominate even more than, than it did last year. What an impressive performance by the Steelers defense in the 23-20 victory. If I didn't say it already, it, was, it went into overtime and, it, and it, it took every last second of overtime to win. Of course, you know that already, but what a performance. I mean, what a performance uh, from the defense from beginning to end. It started on the very first play from uh, scrimmage for the Bengals anyway. Um, when when Cam Hayward uh, just, 
annihilated the Bengals rookie guard and sacked Joe Burrow. And then the second player from scrimmage, uh, Mickey Fitzpatrick picked off Burrow and took it 31 yards for a touchdown. I'm not going to review the whole game, but uh, to highlight some some points in that game, uh, TJ Watt jumped up and intercepted a, a Burrow pass at the line of scrimmage, just a, a freaky, freakishly athletic play. And uh, that was really that was really the Steelers' only sustained offensive drive, 59 yards, and, and you know, they, they converted into a touchdown uh, from uh, Trubisky to Harris for one yard, one yard touchdown pass. So uh, let's see what else. Uh, I think a, a, a big play in a game that doesn't get talked about nearly enough, or a big sequence, I should say, is the, the end of the first half. People talk about the, the, the goal line stand at the end of the game, rightfully so, at the end of regulation anyway. But the, the goal line stand that occurred at the end of the first half after uh, Joe Mixon, the Bengals running back, raced down in, inside the five on a what was it, fourth and one play. The, uh, the Steelers defense held the Bengals out of the end zone on, on third down. I believe it was third down. Levi Wallace uh, forced receiver uh, Jamar Chase out of bounds. Uh, he, he was, he was going to catch a, a touchdown pass in the front corner of the end zone, but Wallace – shoved him out right before he could get both feet in bounce and the uh, Bengals had to settle for a field goal and instead of it being 17 it, would have been, it was 17-3 at the time instead of it being 17-10 at the half it was 17-6 I thought you know a, a game that, that ends that goes into overtime and, and ends on a field goal I, th- I thought that was a big a big play that didn't really get talked about all week um what can you say about Mickey Fitzpatrick in that game I'm just a uh, a lights out performance, obviously the pick six, he had 14 tackles. He had the, the blocked extra point at the end of regulation. I sent the game into overtime after the Bengals came back uh, after the Steelers held the Broncos on that aforementioned goal line stand with less than two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, the second goal line stand, the, the more famous goal line stand with two minutes to go in the uh, fourth quarter, the Steelers offense did a really horrible job of of uh running the clock down i mean they, they ran on first down uh Najee harris got hurt he had to be taken off the second uh play was a pass so there were no uh there, there was no time taken off the clock you didn't force the bengals to use the timeout so really they, they took 20 there was 151 left when the steelers took over and they had to punt the ball back with 127 left on the clock so it was a Poor, poor job of, you know, people criticized Mike Tomlin of his time management. Uh, that was a, 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 a good example of, of that criticism right there. If you, if you want to criticism, if you want to criticize Tomlin for, for that, uh, go right ahead. Cause that was a really uh, poor job all the way around by everybody involved. Um, especially after the Harris uh, injury, when he, when he hurt his foot or ankle and had to be taken off. Uh, it's just a, I think, it, it, well, I mean, it wasn't Harris's fault that he got injured, but it prevented the Bengals from having to use a timeout. And then that sec, the second play, you pass the ball, it goes incomplete. They don't have to use a timeout there. So it was just a really, really poor, before, uh, poor job there by the offense, which wasn't a shock if you think about it, because the offense played poorly the entire game. Anyway, um, yeah, the, the Bengals took the ball down the field and scored a touchdown with two seconds left from uh, Burrow to Chase. Uh, and uh, it looked like they were going to win the game. It, it would have been a pretty heartbreaking loss because the Steelers led the whole way. And to lose to lose, uh, you know, 21-20 like that, 
it would have been uh, pretty heartbreaking. But again, Fitzpatrick uh, just played the, the game of his life and uh, blocked the uh, extra point. And of course, there was luck involved. The Bengals uh, long snapper got hurt and a backup tight end, I forget, Wilcox, uh, he had to fill in. He just was not doing a, he did, he did not have a good day in that regard. It's a harder job than you think. And it just goes to show you how, how fine a line there is in the NFL. I mean, really, his, his, his snap on that extra point was basically a half a second off, and that's all it took for Fitzpatrick to get in there and, and block it. Uh, and then later in, in, in overtime, his, his snap was high, and the, the Bengals punter, why he did it was, it was, it was third down when the, the, the Bengals were attempting a field goal in overtime uh, and it was going to be a game winner, but it was a high snap. And why the Bengals punter didn't just eat the ball at that point, just uh, fall on the ball and, and live for another play. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, they, they, they they were attempting a 29 yard field goal and that was really wide, right? Uh, So that allowed the Steelers to, to, to get a chance and believe it or not, they got into field goal range and, Boswell, Chris Boswell attempted a 50, 55 yarder and it went, uh, it looked like it was, it was going to be good, but it, it clanged off the, uh, left upright and the, uh, the game lived on and there were only two, two minutes and 27 seconds left in, in, uh, overtime. And it looked like it was headed for a tie. Uh, but the defense gave the ball back one more time to the offense and, Somehow, some way, Mitch Trubisky, who struggled all day, the offense struggled all day, you know, 13 first downs. Uh, they were 4 of 15 on third down. It was just a bad day, bad day for the offense. But Trubisky um, made a couple plays in overtime. He, he kept the play alive on third and one. The Bengals jumped off sides. It was a free play, and he used his very elusive scrambling skills and, and uh, found tight end Pat Frybuth, and, and he uh, – raced into Bengals territory a couple plays later. The Steelers had the ball at the 35 after another pass to Fryermuth and and um there were literally what five seconds left in, in, in overtime and Boswell converted this time from 53 yards away and the Steelers won. Wow, what a game. And you know back to that defense. I mean it, you, you you can't ask more from from that defense than, than what you saw on Sunday. Seven sacks, 11 quarterback hits, five takeaways, five, five takeaways. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, Hayward was a wrecking ball like he always is. He had, he had the sack and uh, he had a fumble recovery on a Alex Highsmith strip sack. And Highsmith had the game of his life, three, three sacks in, in that forced uh, fumble. Uh, TJ Watt had a great game. Uh, more on him later. Obviously, Fitzpatrick had the game of his life and he was named AFC defensive player of the week. Again, I thought, I thought uh, Levi Wallace made a very important play at the end of the first half by forcing chase out of bounds. I thought Cam Sutton had a good game. Uh, he made a great, uh, he had a great uh, uh, breakup on, on uh, fourth down at the, and that second goal latch stand with uh, less than two minutes to go. Um, uh, Terrell Edmonds had a great game or, or at least a solid game. Devin Bush had a, had a, had a solid game. Miles uh, um, Jack had a really good game. I mean, that, what a pickup that guy, that guy uh, was. 
Who am I missing? Uh, I think I've got just about everybody. Um, it was just it was just a great effort by the defense all the way around, and it just it just shows you how how talented this unit really is from top to bottom, at least the starters anyway, and, and some of the uh, the reserve players. Um, as far as the offense, it just it looked like the same offensive attack we saw all of last year, and going all the way back to maybe the midway part of the 2020 season. It just, it just lacked in um, any kind of explosiveness. I mean, the running game didn't get going at all. Najee Harris had 23 yards on 10 carries. Their best running play of the day was a, a were jet sweeps to ch- uh, chase Claypool. I mean, that, that was, that, he was their leading rusher on the day. So just was not a good day for the, for the, uh, running attack and of course the passing attack looked just like it did under Ben Roethlisberger last year Trubisky dropped back and everything most passes were short passes at the sideline they very rarely attacked the middle of the field the 10 15 20 yard pass was was uh rare of course there were few uh deep shots um you know people keep you know I, I listen to Craig Wolfley uh, on the Mark Madden show on Friday, and he talked about, well, you just have to keep, as far as a running game, you just have to keep, keep working at it, keep working. At it. It, it'll get there. Like, 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 you know, like you, you, you know, like they talk about, you got to keep, got to keep uh, hitting the rock with the hammer until you break it. But that's not what the issue is. I don't think the issue is necessarily uh, the lines failure to get a push. You had a line uh, failed to get a push and failed to open holes yet again. But I think the, the biggest problem is, the, the, the line can't get a push and it can't uh, create uh, running lanes because there's too many, there's too many men in the box. This offense is just so predictable and, you know, it's not forcing the defense to back off and, 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 and take some guys out of the, out of the box uh, because it's not attacking downfield. It's not, it's not attacking even 15, 20 yards down the middle of the field. So I don't know what that was all about. Um, Mike Tomlin seemed to indicate during his press conference that they were just content with, with protecting the lead that they built up. It was seven, nothing early. Then it was 10, three, then it was 17, three. And they just didn't want to make any mistakes and they didn't, they didn't turn the ball over at all. And so in that regard, it was, it was fine, but you know, this is the NFL in 2022 and, and a 17, three lead is nothing. It's not like it used to be. And especially when you're facing, an offense as 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 uh, talented and as explosive as the Bengals attack, uh, and and of course, because the offense failed to do anything with those five takeaways, really just ten points off of off of the of, off of four of the five takeaways. The only you know, obviously Fitzpatrick was taken to the house for a touchdown, but the other four, all they could generate were were, were ten points, uh, and, and and the defense was on on the field for over forty three minutes of the seventy minutes of game time. And what happened is, is the, the Bengals almost won that game by rights. They should have won the game without some luck. They would have won. So, you know, it's nice to say uh, protect the lead and don't make mistakes, play mistake-free football, but it's not like, it's not 1976 anymore. It's not even 1986 or 96. You can't, you can't play football that way. You can't be that conservative on offense and expect, your defense to, to hold the other team down for 60 minutes or 70 minutes or whatever. It just doesn't work that way anymore. And it almost came back to bite them.
So uh, I don't know what to say about the offense. I mean, the defense, it speaks for itself. Again, more on that later. But the defense speaks for itself. They have talent at every level. But uh, you can't win on defense. And that whole that cliche that defense wins championships, if anything, it's 50-50. And and today's NFL might even be 60-40 in favor of the offense that, you know, what you need to win in 2022. So they're going to have to find a way to open it up. It's easier said than done because the offensive line is, is, is continues to have its struggles. Uh, people talk about how it, it looked better in, in pass protection. And I guess you can say it did because Trubisky wasn't sacked all that many times, but he also didn't hold on to the ball that long either. He didn't seem comfortable sitting back in the pocket. You know, he didn't seem to set his feet on very many throws, especially the, the, the long throw, the, the few long throws that he attempted. I mean, he threw, off balance, off the back of his foot, you know, everything, you know, he wasn't content with, uh, with, with sitting back there in the pocket. So I don't know how really how good the, the, uh, the line did at pass protection. Cause, cause he seemed to be doing what Roethlisberger did the last couple of years and that's getting, you know, he got rid of the ball super, super uh, quick. So I don't know what to make of this, what, what the answer is for this offense. I, you know, we, we've, we've seen the same thing over and over again, um, for a number of years now, really, if, if you go back to 2019 when Roethlisberger was hurt, you know, I, I just don't know what the, what the what the answer is. They certainly have the talent at the skill position uh, level, and and Trubisky is clearly a, a a freakishly mobile quarterback. He shows that again on Sunday. I mean, he might be one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, he's up there. He has to be up there. It's a, his uh, talent is elite, and he has a decent enough arm. But, you know, if, if the other team just continues to – if the opposing defense has you figured out and you're not doing anything to, to um, change that, then I don't know what, what you, you, you can do. I mean, you know, somebody posted a thing on Twitter, like some kind of stat cast kind of deal, where they, they, they charted Trubisky's passes, and the vast majority of them were to the left sideline or the right sideline, 5, 10 yards. That's it. And if you, if you watch Sunday's game, you saw the receivers got very little separation. Um, there was a long pass to Boykin. They almost hit, but he, you know, he was covered. Uh, they tried a, a deep pass to Pickens. Um, it really didn't get a chance to develop. Uh, he threw it again. He threw it before he could really set his feet. Uh, did Trubisky and, and it went out of bounds. So uh, the receivers made some, some good plays. I thought, you know, Deontay Johnson made some uh, really nice catches, including one that was maybe one, maybe will go down as one of the top two or three catches of the year, that one-handed catch in overtime that set up the first field goal try at the, on the sideline. Claypool had a decent game. Frymuth had, had a really good game. Even uh, Zach Gentry had uh, had an, uh, a decent game, uh, catching a, a, like a 30-yard screen pass. So, you know, he's really coming into his own as, as a number two tight end. But – Overall, the attack just was not – it just wasn't potent at all. So those are my thoughts on, on, on week one um, about that defense. And this is my second topic. I think you know where I'm going next, and that's uh, T.J. Watt. He left at the end of uh, – at the very end of regulation when the Bengals were going down for what theoret- theoretically should have been the game-winning touchdown – 
uh, he, he tore or he, he, he injured his, his, uh, his, uh, pec muscle. And, uh, you know, you could see him mouthing, mouthing those words as he came off the sideline or came on, on, off the field. I tore my pec. And of course, everybody thought the worst. Um, and that was that he was going to be out for the year. You know, we've seen that in the past with people like, uh, Cam Hayward and many years earlier, Aaron, Aaron, uh, Smith had, he suffered several of those kind of injuries. So, you know, when it's serious, it's, you know, it is a, a season ending injury. So, um, the initial fear was that he would miss the year and it kind of tainted that overtime period, you know, all the craziness that went on in overtime with the, with the missed field goals and everything. And even before that, with the Fitzpatrick, uh, blocked extra point, you just kind of had a sinking feeling watching, watching the rest of that game unfold because we all know how valuable TJ Watt is to this team, you know, and that's one of the funny parts I've, I've, I've found about the, the, the days after that game and the fans, uh, their their reaction to it. I think on, on on an intellectual level, they know that you know Watts by far their best player and their most important player. And without him, it's going to be tough. But on on the other hand, on the side where they want to cope, they're like, well, well, you know, next man up, next man up. They can they can uh, survive this and 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 uh, you know throw in Malik Reed and Jamar Jones, Jameer Jones, and and uh, you know, the standard is the standard, but clearly that's not realistic. It's, it's a nice thing for Mike Tomlin to say to his players and to get them fired up and to motivate them. And, you know, you have your opportunity now to, to, to shine. And, and of course, Reed has, <clears throat> he does have plenty of experience with filling in for uh, a prominent pass rushers. Uh, he had, he did it the last two years in Denver last year with, uh, or it was last year with, Bradley Chubb, I think, and the year before it was Von Miller. Yeah, yeah. So he he started 26 games the last two years, and he, he racked up 13 sacks. So uh, clearly he's a he's a he's a decent backup, but he's not TJ Watt. And there really is nothing they can do. Or there's not much they can do to scheme Watt's absence away. You know, you know, like they say, you can't you can't. Um, train away a bad diet where you can't scheme away a, a bad injury. <laughs> you know, you can't, you, you can do some things you can, you can compensate. You can kind of try to make up for it. Um, Mike Tomlin kind of uh, mentioned that during his press conference on Tuesday, when he talked about redistributing the responsibilities and how they attack. And, and that's, that's good because the defense is talented. It's not just TJ Watt, but um you know, you have obviously Cam Hayward, you have Alulu and Ogan Joby now on that line. So they have a talented line. They have a deep defensive line with Lauder Melk and Leal. Those guys, uh, obviously, Miles Jack has been a, a tremendous addition for them. And of course, we know about what, what, what Fitzpatrick brings to the defense. And I think, in my opinion, and it's not even really, I'm not really going out on a limb by saying he, he threw his hat in the ring for the next Defensive Player of the Year award way he played on Sunday but you know when you when you talk about next man up and, and the standard and and somebody else has to step up and take Watts place while he's out he, by the way he went on the injured reserve list uh, on Thursday which means he'll he'll uh, have to be out at least four weeks um, 
I failed to mention, you know, when I was talking about how how everybody feared the worst during that game. Well, in the days after that game, it was revealed that Watts' injury wasn't as serious as as originally feared, and the the thought was and remains that he could be back in as little as maybe six weeks, maybe even less than that. Who knows? But nevertheless, they're going to be without him for for a a good chunk of the season, a noticeable chunk of the season, minimum four weeks. So, um. Clearly, his absence is going to impact their defense. We could sit here and talk about uh, how it won't all we want, but everybody knows that it's going to impact their defense. Just like it would uh, if Troy Polamalu went out in his prime for a significant amount of time, or James Harrison went out You know, the, the, the year after he, he won Defensive Player of the Year. If you lose him, that's a big deal. So... Um, when, 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 when you say, well, the next man up, basically what you're saying is the Steelers were kind of dumb for paying TJ Watt $80 million in guaranteed money prior to the 2021 season. And obviously the Steelers aren't dumb. They paid him that kind of money. They went against their, their, probably what they, their, 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 they went out of their comfort zone and did something that they were always reluctant to do because they knew what kind of a talent TJ Watt was, I mean, or is, you know, you know Mike Tomlin mentioned it last year, the, the rate that this guy gets in the quarterback's pace or face per pass attempt, the amount of times he, he beats his, his man and, and, and gets to the quarterback, either pressures him, hits him or sacks him. It's, it's, it's almost unparalleled. It's, 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 it's incredible. So this guy is an incredible difference maker and it's not just rushing the passer it's pass coverage we saw that on sunday even not really he wasn't really necessarily in pass coverage but uh we've seen him him drop in pass coverage and, and make plays and of course his ability to set the edge on, on running plays is, is probably very underrated but it's it's not it's known by those who who know football so the guy's just an all-around incredible player and arguably the best defensive player in the nfl so um you don't just replace that guy. And, and when, when you, the, the reason why they decided to give him that kind of money is because, because, because uh, they knew life without him would be that much more difficult. And that's, that's what you do. You make compromises. Uh, maybe you go, go against what you think is your best judgment for special players. That's why you put up with Ben Roethlisberger's, locker room politics all these years and his passive aggressive style is his passive aggressive threat to quit, uh, in 2017, uh, his, his, you know, you, you, you placate to him and, 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 and maybe keep people like Ryan Switzer on, on a team because they were buddies, right? You, you allow Antonio Brown to live off campus during training camp or, 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 be late to meetings without any repercussions because these guys are that special and you have to make compromises, even if, even if you don't want to. So that's why you do things like that. That's why you pay a guy $80 million um, in guaranteed money for the first time in in your history. So uh, TJ Watt is going to be missed and the defense will be worse for it. And there's no really, there's no way to say otherwise. 
But again, I think this defense can still be pretty darn good. But what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to hope that Cam Hayward continues to play at the level that he's been playing at forever. I mean, the guy is just just a he's just a a a a, a phenom. I mean, he's 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 defying the odds. He's 33 years old, and if you watch him, if you focus on him during a game, playing and play out, he's just he's just terrorizing the guy trying to block him. He's just wrecking his world. You know, um, this guy is arguably the most underrated player in the NFL. And the reason why I say that is because he's probably going to make it to the hall of fame when he retires, whether it's not going to be first ballot more than likely. Uh, and maybe he doesn't make it, but he's certainly going to get considered for, for the hall of fame. He's going to be, he's going to get votes. That's how good this guy is. So you're going to have to ask, you're going to have to hope that he keeps playing that way. Um, you know, to ask Ken Hayward to step it up. That's, that's, he's, he can't step it up anymore than he, than he, already does uh, day in and day out, playing and play out. I mean, he put the whole defensive line on his back last year when Alou and Tuit were, were absent, and he maybe might have had the best year of his career. I mean, the guy's just a special guy. So you have to hope that, that he keeps playing that way. You have to hope that Devin Bush gives you what he gave you on Sunday, which was pretty good play. I mean, he was just pretty good against the Bengals. He wasn't a liability like he was all last year. So you, you have to hope that, that that Devin Bush plays that way or hopefully elevates his game even more and starts to look like the the guy that they traded up into the top 10 to take in twenty in 2019. Obviously, you have to hope that Nika Fitzpatrick really is a strong candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. Whether he wins it or not, that's immaterial. You have to hope that this guy plays the way he did on Sunday against the Bengals. Now, he's not going to have that kind of game every week, but we can, you know, on a consistent basis throughout the year, you need that kind of a, a play from, from Mika Fitzpatrick. He's certainly capable of it. He's arguably the best safety in the NFL. So you need, you need him to do that. You need Ogunjobi to show up like he did in Cincinnati last year and in Cleveland. You need Alulu to be the Alulu of old and, and, and do a heck of a job with, uh, you know, playing the run and, and everything. You need Edmonds to continue to be, to be a, a solid player who, who does a lot of things for you. Sutton, uh, you have to hope Akello Witherspoon continues to uh, morph into this cover corner, which it looks like he might have that ability to be there, to be a true cover corner for them. Um, and, of course, you have, you have to get, get a lot out of, out of Levi Wallace. So, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen for this defense to make up for, for the loss of what. So, you know there's a reason why people were, were concerned and, and, and being all like doing the gloom and doom thing, the sky is falling thing when they found out what would be out. There's a reason for that because he is that special of a player and it's going to take a whole village to make up for his loss. That's what $80 million players mean to their team. So, you know, the way the Steelers, you know, the, to me, you know, heading into the season, I thought, even with what this maybe was at best a nine win team. The margin for error for them was razor thin, even with TJ Watt. the way they want to play um, football in 2022. They want to rely on on an elite dominant defense. They want the offense to just not make mistakes and, and, and let the defense win it for them, which is, as I said earlier in the show, so hard to do in, in 2022 with these, 
fantastic offenses. The, 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 the rules gear, geared toward offense. And, you know, when you see people like Patrick Mahomes and, and Justin Herbert go at it, like they did on Thursday night football in week two, I mean, it's like they're playing a completely da- different brand of football than what the Steelers are playing. When you see the Bills uh, play, you know, it's just to try to win the way they want to win with defense first in 2022. It's, it's so hard. And that's with TJ Watt giving you defensive player of the year level play like he did last year and they barely made the playoffs. So it was razor thin with him without him for even a month. That's going to, it could affect things to the point where they, they missed the playoffs by a a game and they lose the game. Maybe they could have won with what in there uh, and, and wind up missing the playoffs instead of maybe finishing nine and eight, they finish eight, and nine and missed, missed the playoffs as the eighth or ninth team in the AFC, you know, last year, and this, and this stat's been quoted ad nauseum this week, last year, they were 4 and one when TJ Watt either didn't play or was hampered, was compromised during the game with an injury. He had to leave early or, or he was just not himself because of injury, including that, that, uh, that tie against the, 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 the lions that, that, that was the, 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 the one part of the 4 and one, maybe a healthy TJ Watt, you don't even remember that Mason Rudolph started that game because they win that game. They beat the lions because he makes a player two or three. That's the difference in the game. So he's that valuable to them. And, you know, he had 22 and a half sacks last year, one of the best defensive performances in years, and they still barely made the playoffs. So that's what people mean when they, when they react in a negative way to the loss of TJ Watt. It's, it's just common sense. So, that's topic number two and topic number three. And this is more about last week's game. And that's, and I wrote about this the other day and um, it was that 55 yard miss by Chris Boswell in overtime and how shocked he was and how shocked his teammates were and how shocked I was that that, that uh, field goal attempt uh, flooded off the left upright and it was no good because as soon as they made it inside the 40, I thought it was game over. When he lined up to, to kick that 55-yard field goal, I thought that he was going to make it. That's just how, how good he is, and that's how good these kickers are in 2022. If there's one thing, if there's one part of the NFL that doesn't get talked about nearly enough as far as like, like the evolution of, of, a, of a position, it's how good kickers have, have become across the board over the last 10 years. I mean, it used to be uh, like 10 years ago when you thought of, of kickers who can make, make field goals over 50 yards away. Who'd you think of? Maybe Sebastian Janikowski and maybe a couple other guys. I mean, there was a clear tier of kickers you know, for years. There were, there were three or four or five that were really, really good. And then maybe a tier or two below them. And, you know, um, but now it's like so they're, 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 just about all of them are so good. It's hard to find a truly bad kicker in 2022. You know, uh, we know about Justin Tucker. You know, he, he made that 66-yarder last year um, in Detroit to win a game. Um, the, the Browns have a kicker now. I forget his name. I should have looked it up before the I did the show. I, I meant to, and I just forgot. But he supposedly is another kicking phenom that's going to that's gonna be a, a Mr. Automatic for years to come. 
Harrison Buck, uh, Buckner, Buck, Butker, the Chiefs kicker, he hurt his ankle in, in, in uh, last week's game against the Cardinals, and he came in back into the game and kicked the 54-yarder. He did it like he took one step and nailed a 54-yarder. Um, the Broncos get, lost the game because they sent their kicker out, uh, uh, Brandon McManus, uh, to, to attempt a 64-yarder at the end of the game against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football last week. And, and uh, Nathaniel Hackett's, he's the Broncos' new coach, his critics said, why, why, didn't you, why didn't you let Russell Wilson, who was returning to play the Seahawks in his first game as a Bronco, why didn't you let him uh, try to keep the drive alive on fourth and five? There was still a minute, over a minute left in the game, and Hackett just let, let the clock run down the 20 seconds and then let McManus attempt a field goal. But I got exactly, like, I, I, I got it right away. And, you know, these guys are just so good now. At, at, at kicking field goals from long distances that I thought it was worth a, worth a shot. I think, I think we've reached a point now where, you know, if, if, if a field goal can win you a game or, or, or at least tie a game and you're around midfield or to 45 or whatever, you, you might have a better chance of, of, of sending your kicker out to kick a field goal than to try a Hail Mary. I think that's where we are now. So that's one part of the NFL that doesn't get talked about nearly enough is how good kickers are all across the board. You know, we saw Evan McPherson, uh, basically he struggled at the end of that game because of his long snapper, but earlier in the game before his long snapper got hurt, he made a 59 yarder. And I mean, he made it with, with plenty of, 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 of room to spare. So, um, I kind of made a joke about, about Boswell looking shocked because, 10 years ago, you'd have been shocked if he made a 55-yarder, not missed one. That's how far these guys have come. And and I think it's just a matter of time before somebody makes a 70-yard field goal. I just, you know, maybe the maybe the conditions are gonna have to be ideal indoors, you know, no wind. But I think it's just a matter of time. I mean, you look what look what these kickers are doing at, at I almost said Heinz Field. At Acroshore Stadium now. I mean, they're making 50-plus yard field goals on a regular basis. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the the fact that the the turf at Heinz Field has gotten a lot better. But you know, we're talking about a stadium or Acroshore Stadium. We're talking about a venue, a football venue, that uh, got into Chris Brown's head so bad. And was it 2001, 2002 that you know he lost his job here? I mean, he came into the league as a pretty darn good kicker in 1999, and then Heinz Field, the then named Heinz Field, ruined him. He went on, he recovered and had a decent enough career after that with, with I think, the Texans. But he was a good kicker that just mentally he could not handle, he could not handle Heinz Field. And, you know, so, but, but even that venue uh, can't stand in the way of the evolution of the modern day kicker. So that was one little thing, uh, you know, was fun to write about um, in the wake of a, of a, of a win. So that's that the next topic I want to talk about. And I want to hit on one more thing real quick before I take some questions and comments. And that is how can the Steelers win this Sunday against the Patriots? And I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think it's going to be a defensive battle, but I think even without TJ Watts, the, the Steelers defense can handle what the Patriots 
show them on offense because really they have very little on offense. I mean, they have Mac Jones who went out and, and drafted him in the first round last year, which was a smart move. After you, after you lose Tom Brady, you have to replace that guy. And the history tells us the best way to do that is with a first round pick, whether he pans out or not, you certainly have a better chance of, of, of uh, finding a guy in the first round than any other round when it comes to a quarterback. So that was the right thing to do, but they they've given him very little in terms of skill position players to work with, which has been a theme in New England for a number of years. Just ha- just ask Tom Brady. That was one of the reasons why he went out of New England. <laughs> he went, he was sick of not having people to throw to. Um, if, if you look at their receivers, it's uh, Nelson Aguilar, um, was it Jacoby Myers, they're, they're, they're tight ends named Hunter Henry. And I looked at the, the stats of the, uh, on all these guys, and there's nothing special about any of them. Now, Damian Harris is a pretty darn good good uh, running back. He had over 900 yards last year. He averaged 4.6 yards a carry. He's a pretty decent running back, and, and the Patriots have a good offensive line, uh, certainly better than the Steelers. So that might be one way where they can exploit Pittsburgh, but uh, I look for them to be pretty stout against the run. I think if they can find a way to take take um, to shut the run down or, or minimize the running game, minimize Harris, Damian Harris, and I think they can control the game. Because I mean, if you can, if you can uh, have your way with the Bengals in their dynamic attack, guys like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins before he got hurt, and Hayden Hurst, the tight, their tight end, and uh, obviously um, Tyler Boyd, and, and of course Joe Mixon. If you can handle them, then you can handle the uh, the Patriots' attack. So I think it's just a it's going to be one of those games where, where probably the Pittsburgh's offense is going to struggle again. And it might be another boring attack. Hopefully it's not, but I think it's one where Pittsburgh's going to, going to, going to come away with a, a key turnover or two. And that's going to be the difference in, in the game. I'm, I'm thinking 17, 14, 20 to 14, maybe 17, 10, like it was in 2018 at, at, at old Heinz field. So I think Pittsburgh's going to win this game. I feel good about this game. Last week I felt bad or about, you know, I felt, you know, I didn't feel good about week one. Of course that turned out well for them. So maybe I shouldn't pick Pittsburgh, but I think their defense is going to handle, it's going to, they're going to handle uh, the Patriots office. I think their defense is, even without TJ White, I think they have a better defense than the Patriots do. I think they have more playmakers than do the Patriots. They cer- the Patriots certainly don't have a, have, have a, M- a Mika Fitzpatrick kind of player on their team or a Cam Hayward. So I think um, I think it's going to be a good day. And, and I think, you know, getting off their 2-0 start going into Cleveland on Thursday would be would be huge. So those are my thoughts. And I will round out the show, as I always do, by taking some questions and answering some questions and highlighting some comments. Let's see what we have here tonight. While I was rambling on, see what you guys, the input you guys had in tonight's show, which is always great. Here's one from Jeremiah Yoder, who also joins us tonight from YouTube. And he says, key turnover, Monster Mika Fitzpatrick will see to that. There you go. That's what I say. Hopefully, uh, you know, we saw in 2019 when, when Fitzpatrick has takeaways, that he usually does that game like for two or three weeks in a row. I mean, he was really just, you know, if he's allowed to be the Minka of 2019, then he's going to be a, he's either going to get a lot of takeaways or, or, or force a lot of takeaways or turnovers. So 
I hope you're right. Thanks, Mean Joe. Brian Brown joins us. And Jesus Tamez says that the that the the Steelers will double the Patriots this Sunday at Acroshore Stadium. Of course, that could be twenty to ten. Uh, that, yeah, but still, I, I think we'd take that. Tony Ringer says, who joined us from Facebook, Steelers need to establish a run and control the clock and give the defense some rest and better red zone off- offense. I know it's easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, the whole establishing the run thing, to me, I don't think that's going to happen until you open up the pass. Honestly, I, I truly believe that. I think it's going to be hard for this team. And I said this on Monday on The Hangover. I think Shannon said it too. It's going to be hard for this team to ever establish the run if it can't open things up with the pass. Because as long as teams are allowed to crowd the line of scrimmage, as long as they feel like they don't have to fear the passing game, then it's going to be so much harder to run. So it might be where I think where they have to, they have to hit some big plays early and and maybe that's be a good way to open up the run running game. Thanks. Mean Joe says, I agree. Not as good as, the D is not as good without TJ, but pass or nothing. Our defense is still strong, even minus TJ. Steelers win 24-10. Wouldn't that be a joyous day, Mean Joe? And I would certainly say thank you to Mean Joe if that's the score. Mark Malone, who always joins us, former quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, 1980, 1980 number one pick for them. The, st- the score could be 6-3. to three. Well, that wouldn't be a shock either. Remember back in 1997, Cordell Stewart against um, – Gosh, Drew, Drew Bledsoe, Pete Carroll against Bill Cower. Uh, it was seven to six, divisional round at Old Three Rivers. What a game that was. Ryan Schultz from Facebook says, tight end, 15 yards over the middle. Well, they, they, that, that would be a good play for them. You know, you, 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 you know Pat Fryermuth is obviously such a talent. And why they're not using him more down, down the seam over the middle is beyond me. Chase Claypool, another one. And this is Brian Brown from YouTube, and he asks, do you think Steelers Nation will have their pitchforks and torches out if Mitch struggles? Yes. Believe me, they will. It won't take long because uh, Trubisky struggled last week. The whole offense did. And they're itching for Kenny Pickett to be the the starter. So uh, they'll be calling for him. Uh, There'll be some Kenny chants pretty early. If uh, Trubisky doesn't doesn't uh, do some things for the offense, hopefully, hopefully he does. George Hoover make, brings up a really good point. Belichick is great at preparing for average quarterbacks. Trubisky is average. Oh, well, I mean, he certainly uh, you can make that case for him so far th- uh, through his career, and he certainly had a below average game the other day. He did uh, make some plays at the end. And, you know, he seemed to be most effective. We've seen this in the past, in the recent past with Ben. He seemed to be most effective when things were up-tempo and, and they, they had to go to a quick, quick uh, no-huddle kind of an offense at the end of the game. Maybe, maybe they should try more of that. I don't know. Timothy James O'Connell from Facebook says, the Steelers have big play wide receivers. I think we should get the ball down the field to Claypool and Pickens. And I think our D will be good without TJ, a big loss, but we have a good defense overall. Uh, yeah, you know, as far as the defense, like I said earlier, I think it could be good without Watt, but it's not going to be the same without Watt. 
to say otherwise, again, you're saying the Steelers didn't have to pay him $80 million. As far as the big play receivers, they do. I mean, you know, obviously Deontay Johnson's a good all-around receiver, their best all-around receiver. Claypool has shown uh, big play potential in the past, and Pickens showed that during the preseason. So, But it's just a matter of them doing it. It's just a matter of them tr- executing. I think part of me wants to believe that they want to to hit these guys for big plays, but can they can they stop living in their fears and doing it? Is it going to be another one of those weeks where they're going to be content with with uh, playing it safe and and hoping the defense pulls things out at the end? Hopefully, hopefully they can uh, they can they can hit some big plays and and, and open this offense up. Awesome stuff. 1983 says from YouTube, I am trying to be patient about the offense. I usually want, I, I usually always trust in the coach and organization. If Mitch struggles, I will want to see Kenny, his accuracy and, and anticipation seem top notch. Well, they did in the preseason. That's for sure. Of course, it's, it's a different animal in the regular season. Uh, we'll see what happens, but you're right there. Uh, awesome stuff. It's, it's not going to take, it's not going to take long for the fans to, to be itching for, for Pickett. But he also does say he hopes that Mitch balls out. And this is one from Ron, another one from Ron Schultz. And it says, Trubisky needs to look off the defense and stop throwing off of his back foot. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. He did that the whole game. And he didn't look off anybody. Everything that, that was, was was so frustrating about the game, the game plan, is it was just a, a quick drop back and, and first first read to the sideline usually. First read to the sideline. You know, five-yard five yard outs. You know, that was the whole game. He didn't set his feet. Again, it's like he, it's like he didn't trust the O-line to even protect them for a second or two. It was just drop back, get rid of the ball. Drop back, get rid of the ball the entire game. Let's see what else we have. <laughs> this one from Michael O'Malley, who joined us from uh, YouTube. And he says, Bill Cheat, Bill Belichick, the Patriots head coach, longtime head coach, is 35 and 36 without Giselle's, without Tom Brady at quarterback. Without Giselle's husband at quarterback. Of course, Tom Brady. And that's true. And that was the criticism of, of Belichick for all those years with Tom Brady, when he's, when he, when he was the uh, Browns head coach, he was average. He had a couple, he had one playoff year, but by and large, he was pretty average as the head coach. And he's been average in new England without Tom Brady, but I'm not shocked. I mean, this is, you know, this is the, uh, if you look at most head coaches, great head coaches throughout NFL history, they all had great quarterbacks and without the great quarterback, they weren't the same. But yeah, Belichick is not a, a a infallible wizard and genius without without a great quarterback. And Mac Jones is pretty good; he's pretty steady. But it's hard to it, 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 even think he's going to be anywhere near Tom Brady. You know, I mean, that's a once in a century kind of quarterback. So he might find out he might find out that life in the NFL is extremely tough without a quarterback, without an all-time great quarterback, and you're not the genius you are on defense, or you thought you were on defense without without one. 
Uh, Peggy Bronco corrects Michael O'Malley. Google hasn't changed that yet about uh, Belichick's record without Brady. It should be 35 and 37 because of the uh, Dolphins uh, manhandling of, of the Patriots offense in week one down in Miami last week. That's a good point, but Peggy Bronco. And this is Frymuth, or Frymuth, Awesome Stuff 83 says of Pat Frymuth, he is quite the weapon. He needs to get involved early and often. Yeah, well, he was involved on that that flea flicker that uh, came early in the game. Of course, they only got a, uh, a field goal out of that. He caught it down inside the five, and they could only convert a field goal out of, out of uh, that opportunity. That's what I mean. You know, and that's another point about TJ Watt's absence is this defense couldn't have played any better. Five takeaways. Seven sacks. You know, I said this already. Total domination the entire game. And they still, by right, should have lost. If not for some bad luck on the Bengals' part and maybe some some uh, mismanagement on their part, perhaps they lose that game. So, you know, all, all the de- – you, you can talk about defense all day, all day long, but – you need a you need a competent offense to win in today's NFL, and Steelers' offense has not looked competent since about Halloween of 2020, and that's not even that's not hyperbole. That's not me being a troll. That's a fact. You watch the games. I watch the games. We know what we're seeing. This offense has been dreadful, and it was dreadful again last week. And I kind of expected to be dreadful. But I didn't expect it to be dreadful in the, in the same way that it was in 2021 because we kept hearing about how badly they wanted to get a mobile quarterback. They wanted to move on from Roethlisberger. Uh, they wanted to get somebody in there who, who could run the, the RPOs and run Matt Canada's offense and, and, and move around in the pocket and, and, and have a moving pocket. And yet we saw the exact same attack that we saw under Ben. And something's got to change. If they don't change up – how they attack these defenses, they're not going to ever figure this offense out. So I'm fired up. Anyway, Brian Brown says, I bet Miles Jack gets an interception this Sunday. That'd be nice. It's going to have to come from a lot of different places now that TJ Watson in there. All right. Let's see. We have anything else? Nope. Well, we're getting up against the uh, the the uh, sixty minute mark anyway, so it's probably time to call it a night. It was a fun spirited show. You guys really were great, great participants. Uh, don't forget to, to continue to check back to behind the curtain all weekend for pregame coverage, both on the editorial side and, of course, the, the uh, podcast family. Uh, and of course, uh, um, check back after the game for for just endless coverage, wall to wall coverage. Uh, before the game, after the game. Uh, they're going to have articles for you. They're going to have podcasts for you. Everybody's going to be have their hand in the pile. So you're going to have some great coverage before and after this Sunday's game. But, you know, before that gets here, I want you to have a great weekend. I want you to enjoy the game. And I will talk to you on Monday on The Hangover with Brian and Shannon. Until then, you guys have a fantastic weekend. I already said that trying to do different things. You guys are great. You guys are awesome. Go Steelers. Go great weekend. I'll talk to you soon.